I'd like to turn you to a, a very, very well-known passage um, this uh, this afternoon, uh, this evening, or this morning, or whatever time it is for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. And I'm sure we've often used this as the um, as the words, at least in the UK, we use these often, words often as the concluding the concluding of our services um, uh, as, as at the, at the right at the end as the final doxology. These are the wonderful words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That is a wonderful, wonderful doxology. It is a real benediction. Um, sadly, there are one or two uh, translations. I think the NIV is one, but there are one or two translations that change it to may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They turn it into a prayer, but it is actually a statement of truth. It's a Trinitarian benediction. Um, it's like when sometimes people say, and I've heard people say in their prayers, something like this, make the Lord Jesus king. Well, you can't make him king. He is king. You can acknowledge him in your life or you can reject him as king, but he is king. You can't make him king. In the same way, this is not a this is not a prayer. May the grace. This is something we hope will happen. May the grace. No, it is a statement of what God has done for us as Christians, as believers, as we come to pray. It is a great Trinitarian benediction, a doxological statement a great affirmation of faith, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. It includes all the benefits of redemption and it is a statement regarding the greatness of a triune God. Well, of course, the Trinity is for many people a mystery. For all of us is a mystery. It is here by divine Revelation, it is something that the Lord God Almighty has revealed himself to us. Augustine felt that to try to expound the Trinity was like trying to put the ocean into a hole dug into the sand. Or somebody taking a mug and filling it up with the sea and saying, this is the ocean. Well, of course, in one sense it is, but it isn't. Uh, if you understand, it's a very small, tiny, tiny uh, expression. Of course, the scriptures reveal to us this threefold personality in God, one God in three persons, a plurality in unity with each of the three persons containing all the essence of God. Each is holy and completely entirely God, one God in three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. And of course, in Acts 5, uh, with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we are told that to lie against, to tell a lie against the Holy Spirit is to tell a lie to God. And yet, we believe in one God, who is the same in substance and power and glory. We often define it like this, the Father eternally begets the Son, the Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father sends the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. And from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit, we come to God in prayer. So normally, 
not exclusively, but normally prayer should be addressed to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Now people say, how do you explain this? Do you, are you not worshipping three gods? Well, I like to explain this. For those of you who know any, anything about mathematics, I like to explain it like this. The Trinity is not one plus one plus one equals three, but rather one times one times one equals one. And if you know anything about mathematics, you will understand precisely what that means. Well, maybe you say you can't understand. Well, of course, it is difficult to understand. And people sometimes say that this is against reason. No, it's not against reason. It's above and beyond reason. It is reasonable, but it is by revelation from God himself. In fact, it's one of the great proofs that the Bible we hold in our hands has come by revelation of the triune God. The doctrine of the Trinity is above reason because, well, let me give you four, very briefly, four reasons. Firstly, it could never be discovered. It is entirely due to revelation. It cannot be, secondly, it cannot be fully understood or explained. In fact, if we could fully explain, then God would cease to be God. Thirdly, it doesn't contradict reason, but agrees with it. Reason is not the final arbiter. We use that kind of expression very often. For example, when somebody falls in love or two people fall in love, that is not always reasoned. There are other forces. There are emotions at work. And Thomas Watson said, where reason cannot wade, their faith can swim. Fourthly, it agrees with true religious experience. And that's what our verse describes, a true experimental knowledge of personal relations with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's look at this very briefly uh, today. Firstly, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. God's free, unmerited, undeserved favor to those who actually deserve precisely the opposite. But God comes to us and he saves us with his friendly and kindly acts towards those who by nature are his enemies. And God gets pleasure out of showing us his grace. Lord, the divine nature of our Saviour, Jesus, his human nature, the Saviour who is able to save because he is the God-man, Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer. He comes to save, to redeem, to rule, hence the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, clothed in our human nature, invested as the redeemer of his people. He makes guilty men and women, hapless, helpless sinners, the objects of his grace and favor. That's wonderful, my friends. By nature, we are the objects of his wrath. By grace, we become the children of God. And if God in Christ has done this for you, you are eternally secure the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, 
the love of God. Now, this is the source, of course, of our redemption. And yet, how do we experience God's love? We experience it through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why the verse begins with this. Father's love is manifested in the pardon, the salvation and the sanctification of men and women through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how much does God love us? He loves us so much that he came himself to save us. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, says Paul in Corinthians. Reconciled to God by the death of his son. Or again, the love of Christ constrains us. This is the expression of the love of God. It compels us. It is Christ's love because Christ is God. The whole Trinity is fully involved of every aspect of this truth. Christ's death covers our sin. He brings us into fellowship with the Father. We become sharers in the love of God. The most outstanding revelation of the love of God is seen at Calvary on the cross. What an amazing God we come to when we pray to him. Thirdly, the communion, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Communion, the word is koinonia, participation, the sharing in common, the communication, the fellowship, the relationship. Do you know, my friends, that is incredible. By God's work in saving us and making us his children, we have something in common with God. We share the same family. We share his likeness. That is amazing. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing to be able to come to this God and ask him to hear our prayers. You can't have a relationship with a thing or a force or an influence, but only with a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He applies to our souls the benefits of Christ's finished work so that we become joint partakers with the Holy Spirit. We are brought into fellowship with God and with one another. My friends, I think this is something wonderful about this prayer call that we're on, the fellowship that we enjoy with one another. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Now, of course, this begins with the miracle of regeneration. John 3, our Lord's words to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Do you know this? But the greatest fellowship that can be achieved in this world is the fellowship of those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are loved by the Father, those who are regenerated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I say again, what a great incentive to come to our great God and to pray for his blessing upon our churches.
how wonderful to be able to pray together. How sad that so many churches don't have prayer meetings in the way that we pray here. Thank God for those who do. What a wonderful thing it is to meet with the saints of God, around the word of God, to come to this God of all grace and love and communion. Matthew Henry writes these wonderful words in his commentary. And with this, I close. He says this, this is a very solemn benediction. And we should give all diligence to inherit the blessing, the grace of Christ, the love of God and the communion or communication of the Holy Ghost, the grace of Christ as Redeemer, the love of God who sent the Redeemer and all the communications of this grace and love which come to us by the Holy Ghost. It is the command communications of the Holy Ghost that qualify us for an interest in the grace of Christ and the love of God. And we can desire no more to make us happy than the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. That's what Matthew Henry says. What a wonderful God we have. Let's come to him, my friends, with confidence, with assurance. Let's bring our prayers. Let's seek his face to revive his work in wrath to remember mercy in the midst of the years, to come and to do us good as we seek to serve him and worship him. Amen.